This is kickoff Sunday for the fall. We do this every year and basically welcome home. Welcome back to the family. This is like a family reunion, uh, sort of uh, kicking off for the, for the fall. One of the things, we've been doing this quite a few years. One of the things I've noticed over the years is, in, uh, and I can appreciate this, is that every summer gets crazy, Right? People are going on vacation, they're traveling, some people are gone the whole summer, then they come back and other people are in and out and, and you know, as a pastor you're going, where is everybody? It's like, you know, they're just all over the world. And, uh, and so we decided years ago that we're going to have one Sunday, middle of September, where, okay, everybody come back home. <laughs> it's time to come back home and let's move forward together as a church because God has some good things for us to do, be involved in this fall and in this season of ministry. Sort of like school season, well, we have a season ourselves that we're gonna, we're gonna move forward with. And, uh, and it's almost like kickoff Sunday is almost like a team coming together, having a team meeting because we're going to have a winning season. And uh, sort so of how I feel this morning. God's got some good things, right? You know, it's... Uh, Years ago, matter of fact, back in 1970, my family uh, and me, we moved here from southern Michigan. And uh, I, was, I was only 10 years old, but I still appreciated uh, sports. I didn't play football, but I loved to watch football. And, and down here, the only team in Florida were the Miami Dolphins, hence the oddball in the congregation this morning. Okay, those of you at home hope somebody's representing well. But, um, and so uh, I started, you know, cheering for the Miami Dolphins. Well, two years later, the Miami Dolphins accomplished something no other team has yet since. They went totally undefeated all season long, won the Super Bowl. They went 14-0, and 0, which is a big deal. There's a couple teams have come close, and they're like, no, don't mess with that. But, um, and then... Fast forward about four more years, that was in 1972, 1976. Another team was birthed here in the Tampa Bay area, and they called them the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, yeah. Well, anyways, <laughs> their first season, they had the same record as the Dolphins did, except it was backwards. It was 0-14 rather than 14-0. and 0. So that was their record the first season. The second season, it began sort of in the same way. They were 0-12, but they won their last two games of their second season. So they finished 2-26, which was awesome. Well, a few years later, 2002, they go to the Super Bowl and they win the Super Bowl. All right, finally. And uh, then they hit a, it's sort of weird. I, I got to confess this part. Over the years, um, because there's been so many Buccaneer fans in the area, I've enjoyed watching the Buccaneers lose. <laughs> and I've just been rarely disappointed up until two years ago, okay? Um, and so all of a sudden, two years ago, this guy shows up at Buccaneers camp. His name is Tom. <laughs> you understand Tom, right? Tom Brady shows up and several of his close friends. And... Um, and all of a sudden, this buzz going around the, uh, just the NFL. What if? 
I mean, this would be cool. I mean, what if Tom Brady leads the Buccaneers to the Super Bowl and they win the suit? This would be the first time because the Super Bowl was going to be in Tampa Bay. This would be the first time that a home team to the stadium would actually go and win the Super Bowl. And so I thought, hmm, this could be interesting. So I started cheering for them and they won. Maybe I should have cheered up more, but <laughs> and they won the Super Bowl that year. And, uh, and so I'm just thinking through all these things, you know, the Dolphins win big, the Buccaneers win, and, you know, Ohio State once in a while, they do pretty good. Sorry, Rick, and most of you. And uh, <laughs> sweet. Anyways, um, I think, well, what, is it, what does it take to be a winning team, to be a championship team? Well, having really good players does help but it's not the only thing, right? As a team, whatever sport you are, you, you have to have a vision for the team, whether the vision comes from the coach, the owner, the managers, wherever it is. Somebody has to have a vision and say, team, this is what we're all about. This is what we want to accomplish. They have that vision and they share it and everybody on the team, everybody in the organization has to buy into this vision in order for it to work. And it energizes them. And then not only do you have a vision, but you have a game plan. You have a strategy and people have to buy into that. But the thing is, you have a strategy, a game plan for the whole team. This is what we are going to do. But every part of the team also has a, has a game plan, a strategy. I mean, you have a lot of parts to a team, a football team. You have the offensive line. You have the defensive line. You have the linebackers. You have the backs. You have the quarterback. You have the running backs. You have the wide receivers, tight ends, you name it. Every one of those positions has, has a coach, and they have a game plan, but their plan always fits into the plan of the whole team. Not only do they need to have a plan, but every one of the players, they need to know their plan and they need to execute and they need to do it very, very well. And one, one of the, the basic elements of a team is that you have a plan and you practice a lot, but you never leave the basics undone. You always hang on to the basics of what you do as a team. There are some fundamental, basic skills and game plan, parts of the game plan that you have to always be able to execute. That's what we're going to talk about today for us as a church. Because same thing, we have a vision. Why are we here? What are we trying to accomplish as a church? We have a strategy. We have a game plan. But we also have basics to that plan. And so we're going to look at what some of those are because I've really felt over the last maybe year or so with everything going on in the world and all the things that are happening, we have this voice and we have that voice, we have this influence and we have these emotions and, and I mean, we can just get very, we can get very scatterbrained listening to all and trying to hang on to all the different things. And I thought, you know what, even as a church, it's important for us to get back to the basics of why we're here and what we're trying to accomplish. So what does that look like? Well, I thought if we're going to go back to the basics, let's go back to the basic 
church, which was back just after Jesus died on the cross. He came back alive. He resurrected. He went back into heaven. The Holy Spirit showed up in the book of Acts. We have this record. And uh, if you have your notes, I want to read some of those verses in Acts 2.42 to 47. After the Holy Spirit had showed up, it says this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions, shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And here's this next sentence, is my heart and my desire for Abundant Life Church. For any church but ours. And the Lord and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were what? Being saved. That's why we're here, folks. We want to see that in our time and in our day, that daily people are coming to Jesus Christ, getting saved, and getting involved in the church family. So there's so much that we can learn from our brothers and sisters two thousand years ago and what they experienced and what they went through. So I've just felt it's important for us to get back to the basics of what we believe as Christians, but also in what we do as a church. But before we dive in, just want to remind us, the main reason we're here, folks, is to see people's lives changed for Jesus Christ. So let's watch this story. grew up in a fairly Christian home. My mom was a Christian, but my dad was an alcoholic. When I was in high school, about the age of 15, I committed my life to God and was baptized. I found that it really pierced my heart in Romans 6, where he talks about how I should no longer continue sinning, uh, that God's grace will, will cover me. And that really pierced my heart. Uh, to the point where I started following God. Out of high school, I decided to become a youth minister, uh, pursue that passion. Uh, in college, uh, life started to settle in, and I started to grow a little bit further away from from God. Uh, I stopped pursuing youth ministry and became a firefighter. Um, the outside influences then started to become even more prevalent, and I found myself completely separated from God. There's a big void in my life now, and I didn't seem to figure out what I could do to replace it. Um, and given my profession, um, it was easy to turn to alcohol or women to fill that void. I was getting to a point in my life where I didn't even care what happened to me. Unbeknownst to me, um, I had my mom and my brother praying for me uh, that I would meet somebody 
that would bring me back to God and that we could grow together spiritually um, in spite of every human in spite of every human reason why this shouldn't happen. I met my now wife, Loretta, and she was coming off of a recent death of her husband, Tyler. She was fasting and praying to ask God what he had planned for her and her life. And that's a whole other story about how God turns bad to good. I was coming from uh, indescribable darkness. The light of God that was in Loretta shone bright to me. She started bringing me to church and I found every reason not to come or to to say bad things about uh, the church, about how um, this isn't biblical or that's not biblical, but in all honesty, I couldn't find anything. Three days before we got married, all the darkness inside of me um, that I had tried very hard to hide from her and everybody else was exposed. I laid it out for her to see and recommitted my life to God. The change that God has done in my life, for lack of a better word, is miraculous. The desires I had from my past life are no longer there. Um, But now I desire to follow God and be the man, the husband, the father that I was meant to be in God's eyes. There's still struggle, but God has made a complete 180 turn in my life. I am beyond, I am beyond grateful and now have an additional five kids to my two that I was already blessed with. Uh, they keep me on my toes spiritually and help me to further my walk with God. I'm grateful for Vern for allowing God to speak through him straight into my heart. I'm grateful for this church family here at Abundant Life for the the joy that they bring, the the, the passion they have for Christ, and the, the loving spirit that they have welcomed me in um, this center like myself. Amen. That's Kenny's story. You have a story. And there's over 300,000 people in our community that need a story like that. That's why we're here, folks. That's why God has put us here in this place at this time to see more people have a story of how Jesus changed their life. So how do we do that? How can we as a church position ourselves? What kind of plan, strategy, game plan can we have so that God can use us just to to make an impact in maybe just a few people's lives, but how about a bunch of people's lives so that the Lord would add to our numbers daily those who are being saved? Wouldn't that be cool? That'd be awesome. So let's jump in. I have five things Uh, This is very basic. This is part of our, what I believe, our game plan. There's five simple words we're going to use this morning and uh, that I believe are important for us to do as a church in order for us to position ourselves uh, to be everything God wants us to be, especially in this next season. First one is this. 
is that we need to gather together. The first word is gather. That means that, that we meet together, we fellowship together, we worship together, we just get together. It means in a place like this, it also means in our homes, small groups, as friends, whatever that is. In Hebrews 10.25, in the past couple of years, we've been using this verse a lot. And it says this, Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. What day is that? The day when Jesus comes back, right? Did you know that we're one day closer to Jesus returning today than we were yesterday? And he is coming back. So what, what, what do we do? Since he is coming back, and it's soon, it says we need to not forsake our gathering together. We need to make that a very important part of what we do. So it's almost like when we're together like this, it's almost like a team huddle where we come together face to face. We see each other. We, we can feel the emotions. We can, we can see each other face to face in a way that you can't. I mean, over the past couple of years, you know, live streaming and doing Zoom calls and all that, when necessary, that's been okay, right? But there's nothing can replace you and I sitting down face to face, interacting and connecting with each other that way. It says, don't stop meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And this, uh, this especially is important when we talk about worshiping together, what we did earlier today, singing together with the music and with our voices. And, you know, there's just something powerful about doing this together. Now, obviously, you can do this all by yourself. Maybe you're at home and you put on some worship music and you worship. That's powerful. You're driving, you're driving down the road, going to and fro work, running errands, and you listen to worship music in your, in your vehicle. That can be powerful. Maybe during your quiet time devotions, you incorporate worship music into that. But did you realize that, especially in the New Testament, worship was designed as a we-together experience? Did you know that? Corporate worship was designed for people to worship together. Here, here's a verse in a great example, Colossians 3.16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, that's the Bible, God's word, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, okay, so they're talking about being together, and, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. It's a we together thing gathering together there's nothing can replace it as a church that's why it's very important for us to do what we do and do it together you know when you really look at the new testament and the word church there's several times that the word church you find it and the greek word the original word for church is the word ekklesia which literally means the gathering of God's people. That's, that's the literal meaning interpretation of the word ecclesia, the gathering together. So what we're doing here today, we are, we are being the church 
But this isn't the end of it. Do you know that the real activity of the church, think about this, the real activity of what the church does starts when you drive off of this campus. Did you know that? This is like a huddle. This is like we're, we're coming together, we're getting the game plan, we're, we're, we're getting motivated, we're, we're experiencing God together, but this isn't the end of it. This is just the beginning. This week for every one of us starts right here in this moment but the activity of the church, the mission of the church begins when you drive off of here and you do your activity throughout the week, whatever that is. That's when the church is active in our community. But this is a vital part of it. So with each one of the points, the words, I've put in some vision. This is what our vision is. I wrote it in your notes. Nerds, your notes. Slow down. Here we go. Okay, here's our vision when it comes to gathering together, that each one of us makes gathering together regularly a top priority in our schedules. That it, it's a priority, it's not a negotiable thing. That it is a, it's one of the top things on our list each week. Okay, we gather together. Number two, another basic thing we do is we connect with each other. So our gathering isn't just that we have a whole bunch of different people at the same place at the same time, and that's it. When we're together, we connect. What does connect mean? Is that we develop real, authentic, and genuine relationships with each other. We actually get to know each other. We spend time with each other. And uh, matter of fact, you cannot live a healthy, growing, maturing life as a believer unless you have other people in your life. We're going to explain that a little bit. Here's what it says in Acts 2, verse 46, back to uh, what I read earlier. It says, they worship together at the temple each day. Now, we're not going to set that as a precedence, but here's what they did. Every day they worship together at the temple, at the temple courts. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. In other words, the, the setting of the early church, even though they were, they were believers, many people believe that, that the day that the Holy Spirit, on verse 1 and 2 of Acts chapter 2, that there was probably about 120 believers together that started the movement. But because of Peter's sermon throughout chapter 2, it said that day, that exact day, over 3,000 people believed were baptized and added to the church. So at the end of chapter 2, the church was 3,120 people, at least. <laughs> and this is what they did. They met together regularly. But here's the thing. It was during a time of intense persecution i mean the local romans the roman leadership and the and the jewish leadership the religious part of the church they didn't like these guys i mean they had just killed their leader jesus now they didn't realize jesus wasn't dead anymore these guys did right and so they're like what are you all doing you guys are messed up you're 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 rocking the system you're messing up our religious system. And so they persecuted him. They'd arrest him, put him in jail. They were even killing them. 
just for being Christian. So they're meeting regularly, daily, and, and having meals together in this fellowship, being together. Part of it was out of survival. But the other part was it didn't stop them from meeting together. They knew how much more important it was for them to stay, to continue to meet, even with the danger of somebody busting in the house and arresting them. They knew it was a very valuable, important uh, practice of just being together. And it continues to be to this day. So they lived it out. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.11, the next verse. It says this, So encourage each other, and build each other up just as you are doing. What does that mean, each other? Other translations use the words one another. Each other, one another. Over 55 times in the New Testament you find this phrase. And every time you find it, it's, it's, it's like a directive, almost a command. And it's to the church. And here's what, here's what Paul and some of the other writers, they say, Church, here's what you should be doing to be the church. You should encourage one another. You should build each other up. You should pray for one another. You should take care of each other. You should meet one another's needs. On and, in other words, you know, for those to happen, for you to, well, for anyone to meet your need, for anyone to pray for you, for anyone to encourage you, you have to be connected in relationship with other believers, right? Otherwise, how will they know? You go through a really tough time in life and you're thinking, I need some friends. I need somebody around me to help me, to encourage me. And you look around and nobody's there. Why? Because you're not connected to anyone in relationship enough for them to know what you're going through. That is so, so important for the church, but for us as well. So here's the vision for number two of being connected, is that we are all connected in a small group, all of, in some sort of group. That's our vision. Our vision is that every one of us who are part of Abundant Life Church, we are in relationship with other people. Maybe it's an organized small group. Maybe it's just a group of friends. But we're also connected with the people in our community. We're not just a holy huddle. <laughs> we need each other, but this isn't it. I mean, we have, right now we have about 420, close to 25,000 people in our community right now in Sarasota County. Most of those studies, surveys, statistics show that over 85% of those people need Jesus. Figure that one out. That's over 350,000 people around us that need Jesus. And that's why we're here. We're going to talk about that in the last one. All right, number three then. All right, we're to gather, we're to connect, and then we grow in our faith is one of our basics. We have to grow in our faith. To grow means to increase. We need to increase in our spiritual knowledge. We need to grow in knowledge of God's word. We need to mature, uh, which is maturing to be more like Jesus Christ. By the way, next week we're going to start a brand new series. Uh, just simply, it's going to be, be like Jesus. <laughs> what does it mean to be like Jesus? What if we're all like Jesus? Wouldn't that be cool? 
So uh, we're going we're gonna to dive into that. I'm, pretty, I'm really excited about that. But in Acts 2.42, it says this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, what were the apostles teaching? Good question. Because at that point, <clears throat> the believers, the only part of Scripture that the believers of the early church during Jesus' time, and even throughout the whole New Testament, the only part of Scripture they had was the Old Testament. And the Jews were very much studied in the Old Testament. That's where they got everything. That was, their, that was their Bible. But what were the apostles teaching the early church? Well, the apostles were those disciples that had just been with Jesus for three and a half years. So what were they teaching? They were teaching them what Jesus taught them. They were teaching them the things Jesus taught. They were teaching them the things Jesus did. And so they were just basically doing what Jesus did to them. They were, that was their teaching. Now, it's interesting because they didn't have it in writing yet. It was all verbal all throughout the New Testament. It was all verbal until Paul started, Paul and then Peter, and, and then John and James started writing letters to some of the churches because they did not have the written word at that point. It was all word of mouth. So as we look today, when you open the New Testament, almost a half, almost a half of the New Testament are Paul's writings to the church. Because, because they didn't have anything written, they were easily swayed from the truth. So every once in a while, Paul would write, and he'd say, Now, remember when I was with you, and I taught you these things? Let me remind you of those. And so he did, and so they had the letters, which became now our Bible. But here's the thing. Throughout the years, for probably the next 1,500 years, Christians didn't have a Bible. They didn't, even, they didn't even have a written word. You know who had Bibles? <laughs> the priests, the religious leaders. At that time, up until about the 1500s, it was mostly the Roman Catholic Church. Then the Reformation happened, and then that's when uh, sort of the evangelical and Protestant churches broke off and became m many of the churches we have today. But basically, the average believer did not have the Bible. They didn't have the words. They didn't, all they did, could do is take the word of the priest or the, whoever was preaching and, and sharing, uh, preaching to them and sharing what the Bible said. And so people like, you know, in the 13, 1400s, John Wycliffe, he decided, he said, look, people need the Bible in their own language and up till that point, most of the Bible that they had access to, even if they could get one, was in German or Latin. And so he went and translated, which we get the Wycliffe translators from today, he translated that into the everyday language of the people. Well, the problem was they still didn't have one. It was available in their language, but it, nobody had a written version of it until uh, Johannes Gutenberg came along. You have, I don't know, anybody hear the Gutenberg Press? Some of you did, okay. He built that so what he could do what? He could have a printing press to make copies of the Bible. And all of a sudden, what happened? He started making copies of the Bible. People had, 
had the Bible in their hands and they actually did something. They began reading the Bible. And they go, wow, there's a lot of good stuff in here. Why didn't anybody ever tell us some of these things? And they started not just reading it, but they started doing it. And that's when we began having some of the great revivals across our globe. The big missionary and evangelistic movements of our day began when people started actually reading, studying, and and doing, applying the Bible for themselves. Isn't that cool? So as I've been thinking over the past, uh, this, this whole message has been birthing for about a year I've been in labor for a year not quite anyways it's been a good one though I just really this one point especially has really just grabbed a hold of me because as Christians today in the modern world we have so many resources available to us we can have this Bible study we can have that Bible study this person this teacher says this about this and I mean we can have all sorts of opinions and studies about the Bible But as I was thinking about the fact that we need to get back to the basics, I thought, you know what? If just reading and applying the Bible can start a worldwide movement several hundred years ago, what can it do for us today? What if, what if we, every one of us, it doesn't mean you can't study other things, but we just really picked up the Bible every day. We just picked it up. We opened it up. And we read it. Maybe studied it a little bit. Might even memorize a little bit. And then on top of all that, we actually did what we just read. Wouldn't that be amazing? I mean, Hebrews tells us that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. Paul says in Ephesians that the word of God is the sword of the spirit. It is powerful and it is effective, but it is only powerful and effective when it sits on our table all day long. No. It's only a book. If it just sits there, it's just a book. It's not until you read it and then you apply it, you do what it says, that it begins having the power to change your life. And when it begins to change your life, it will begin to change the lives of the people around you as well. Now, here's what it says in James 1, 25. It says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and you don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You look at yourself you go, ugh, and then you walk away. You forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law, that's another word for the Bible for us today. You look per, into the, per, the Bible that sets you free, and if you do what it says and you don't forget what you heard. Remember, at that time, they heard the word, right? God will bless you for doing it. So here's the thing. The power and the blessing of God's word comes only when you read it 
when you remember it and when you do it. That's when it works. Otherwise, you're just filling your head with stuff, <laughs> good stuff. But the power comes when we do it. So what is our vision for this one? Here it is. Our vision is that every one of us, everyone, would have a regular daily time in the Word. Okay, reading, studying, memorizing the Bible, and then we read it and we do it. It's that simple. What would it be like if every one of us here today, for this next season, okay, I mean, obviously, it's for the rest of our lives, but what if just this next season, between now and the end of school, it was a, it was a commitment and an action that every one of us made? I'm going to every day. Now, here's the thing. If you miss a day, if you miss a week, don't give up. Okay, you're going to have a little voice inside your head that says, see, you could never do this. What are you thinking? Every day? <laughs> Come on. No, you just keep going. You just keep going. That's where the power of the word of God is, okay? So we have gathering, connecting, growing. Then number four is we serve together. We serve each other and we serve together. Serving basically means that we willingly sacrifice ourselves for the sake of other people. We help people. We meet people's needs. We bless people. We encourage people. In reality, folks, this helping other serving is a basic expression of our faith. If there is no action to your faith, James tells us that if your faith doesn't have any action, it's not even faith. It's dead. This is one of the expressions and actions of faith. And it's not, we don't just do it when it's convenient. Sometimes serving other people means that it's going to cost you okay matter of fact look what jesus said in mark chapter 5, uh, 10 he says for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many in other words jesus think about this the greatest person the most awesome, the most impactful person to ever step foot on this planet. He changed the world. We're still experiencing it today. How did he do that? By serving and sacrificing. He gave up his life. If he wouldn't have given up his life, we wouldn't even be talking about Jesus today. We wouldn't even be here, right? The fact that he gave up his life and he rose again, that's why we're here today. That's why serving and sacrificing go together. And that is part of what he calls us to do. So what is our vision? Well, you already heard part of it. As Jarrett was giving the announcements this morning, our vision is that we enter a season of being a blessing to our community. And our heart, our vision is that it's not just a season. What if we just did this all the time? What if it's just what we do? What we do as a church, what you do as a person, you just look for every opportunity possible to bless other people, just to help them, encourage them, meet their needs. And then, before I give you the answer to number five, 
even if we did numbers one, two, three, and four, we gather, we connect, we grow, and we serve, even if we did every one of those perfectly, I mean, we were awesome. We were just awesome at those. Without number five, we'd just be a really awesome social club that had a lot of fun together, but we wouldn't ever get anywhere. Number five, write this in your notes, is that we share our faith. We have to share it. We have to share our faith. We have to share the good news. This is where we fearlessly and seriously tell people about Jesus Christ. That's what separates every other awesome organization in the world. Whatever they do, there, there's many, many really good organizations in this world that do a lot of really, really good things for other people. But what separates those from the church of Jesus Christ is that our goal, our heart, is to, people, to see people get saved, the salvation of their souls, so they go to heaven. That's what the church does. If we don't do that, we're not the church. We're just really awesome at a bunch of other things. But that's not our end goal. Acts 1, Acts 1 8 says this. It says, but you will receive power. These are Jesus' words. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will, you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, all over the globe. In other words, when you experience salvation and the Holy Spirit, and, he get, and you allow the Holy Spirit to just grab a hold of your life, to fill you up, and to control you, and to use you, you will begin fearlessly becoming a witness for Jesus Christ, simply telling other people your story. Just as we heard the story a few minutes ago, Jesus has given you a story if the story's not finished yet, maybe you're, maybe you're somewhere in the middle of this story, still on the verge of a major decision. You still have a story. And God's still writing that story. It's worth sharing. Because there's people around you that are literally dying to hear your story. Did you know that? Your story may be the end product of someone else's beginning story. And until you tell it to someone, they don't know. They don't know that there is a better chapter to their story. So what's our vision for this one? Our vision is that sharing our stories of faith becomes a normal part of our lives. Every one of us. That's just automatic. We just, we're so excited about Jesus. We're so excited about what he's done in our lives. We're so excited about what he's doing in our church family. We're so excited about the changes he's made in my life that I'm so excited to tell you about it. Do you got a minute? Let me tell you my story. And it just keeps happening. Fearlessly and seriously. That's our... I would say for right now, that's our overall vision as a church. Those five things I just shared with you. Pretty simple, but that's basic. That's down to the basics. 
But even within an overall vision, you have a, a seasonal vision, just like a football team. They've got this great plan, but every week, I don't know if you know this, every week they, they personalize and they individualize their game plan according to the team they're playing. And so for us as a church, there's times when we have sort of a seasonal vision. Well, right now we're in that. And we're going to continue what we started last year, the end of last year, but also this spring with our capital campaign, is that we're still making room. Our vision for this next year is that we are still making room. And it involves all of us doing this together. What does that mean? Well, it means that I need to make room for God in my life. Do you, what if, let me ask you this, what if all of a sudden God become, start, begins doing something very unique, very different in your life than what he's ever done before? Is there room for God to do that in your life? Or do you say, no, 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 God, I, I, I no, we can't go there. We've never done that before. It also means making room for more people. Can you imagine more people in your life? Can you imagine? I'm not saying you have to increase your family. I'm just saying more people. How about here's a church? What would it be like if we had more services, jam-packed, and just, would, would, you, would, that, would you be open to that? Is, is there room in your life for more people? Is there room in your heart to welcome those people into your life? How about room in your home? What if your home was a hub of hospitality? You ever think about that? Did you realize that your home is probably one of the, the greatest evangelistic tools you have to reach people for Jesus? Even greater than this facility right here. And this gathering. Your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers. Hey, come on over for dinner. Let's have a cookout. How about even room in this place here? We started this about a year ago, sharing vision that we just need more room for more people, especially during the winter season. We are wall-to-wall people, especially this service. And we just realized we can't grow, we're not growing anymore, so... We have plans in place. They're moving ahead. We did a capital campaign. We're still moving with that. Matter of fact, our update right now is that our plan on adding a new auditorium right to that part of the building, connected to and in the front of the property, and covering the rest of the patio. Wouldn't it be cool if our patio was air-conditioned? It would be awesome. It will be someday. Okay? They're working on all the detailed design of that right now. Hopefully in a couple months we'll be able to reveal that. Just because you aren't seeing it, it's still happening. Sort of how God works in our lives, right? Just because I don't see it, it's still happening. Hopefully we'll share that with you. But that's our goal. We want to make room for more. But until that day happens, until the moment we can, we can meet in a new facility and not meet in this room, we're not going to stop doing what it takes to make more room. It means tweaking things and adjusting things. We want to do that. So starting next week, we're making an adjustment. Okay? Everybody listening? 
Okay, this will only affect some of you. Uh, one of the things, if you only attend this service, um, thank you. We're glad you're here. But we have an 815 service that's barely half this full. Okay, some of you have been there. And most of the people in first service don't realize this service exists like this. We have a few people come in second service once in a while. Wow, there's a whole big church there. And we go, yeah. So we, we want to try to even things out a little bit, maybe a little. Don't all of you go to the first. We're going to move uh, the time from 8.15 to 8.30. Okay, now I know it's not a lot, but maybe that 15 minutes could help a few of you to go to first service. Just a few, okay? Okay, and uh, we'll see how that goes, but that's, that's sort of the best. We've tweaked our times over the years a lot, and, uh, and so we sort of feel that 10-15 niche for the second service is about right uh, for this group. Uh, if we move it one way or the other too much, then it messes things up uh, again. But if, if, if you feel that that extra 15 minutes of sleep you know, uh, yeah, I think I could go to first service now if it's 8.30. Uh, we would welcome that, some of you. Okay, is that right? That starts next week, by the way. And, uh, and so we're, we're going to try, try to make more room in the facility that we have before we have to, uh, before we get to move into our new building. So, But I'm, here's the thing. I'm really excited about this next season. I believe that in the months and even the year in front of us is going to be a very history-making time for us as a church. I believe we're heading into a season where God wants to do something really, really amazing in and through us as a church. Now, I do also believe that the world's going to get a little crazier in the next weeks, months, and year ahead. But that's why it's even more important for us to be a place people can come to. To say, you know what, I feel, I feel safe. I feel peace. I feel joy. And I feel Jesus here. That's why we're here, folks. When we do all this together, we go back to the basics and we just do what God's called us to do as a church. And we do it together. It'll be amazing to see what God wants to do.